is the curiosity as to where we are, what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello, Curious Humans. Max Dossel is an award-winning poet. He is an advisor to Tech for Humanity, and he's a pretty successful filmmaker. Um, I believe his short films have been seen over 40 million times online, which is quite a lot. Um, And I lived in the same house as Max here in Guatemala for just over a month. We climbed a volcano together, um, and I just feel grateful to call him a, a brother and a true friend. And towards the end of this month, we sat down to record this conversation, which begun with him sharing his journey from initially designing notification systems at a social media company uh, to exploring the art and science of attention. Uh, We then get into how he describes his work as a blend of poetry, stand-up comedy and storytelling. Uh, We talked about his insights from leading men's groups um, and also the writing workshop that he hosted here on avoidance and imposter syndrome, which ended up leading to me publishing a short poetry book. Okay, without further ado, I give you my conversation with Mr. Max Stossel. Welcome, Max. I'm so thrilled to be here with you in person. How are you feeling right now in three words? Excited, illuminated, sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. So there are literally a thousand different directions that I want to go. And I feel like this conversation will probably bounce around like a pinball machine. Um, But as a jumping off point, I'd love to start with a question that has become something of a ritual for this podcast. And the question is, were you exceptionally curious as a child? And if so, what is something that you were curious about? Exceptionally curious. My first thought is, I think probably an old child, how young? I think when I'm really like mm-hmm. baby child, I think natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that I was baby levels of, of curious, which are naturally <laughs> exceptional compared to adults. But I think as I aged, I was probably more fearful and like, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want pain. I don't want mm. these things. I'm probably less curious than most children mm. in terms of exploring um, and more pain averse would be my guess. Is there anything that you did stay curious about as you grew up like anything specific i stayed curious about as i grew up honestly in this moment i noticed like i don't remember that much of my childhood Hmm. Uh, i think i've always always been curious about people just like how we tick and how we work Hmm. and what makes us do the things that we do that's been like a thread throughout most of my throughout most of my life Hmm. and certainly one that continues today Mm. And were there any books or stories that you loved growing up that come to mind? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is Shel Silverstein and Dr. Seuss. Um, I loved those. And uh, I think the Dr. Seuss, I think right now, actually, as we speak, and by the time this airs, it'll probably all have died down because that's the nature of the internet. But right now, I'm not supposed to like Dr. Seuss. He said racist things. Mm. Um, but I think... Uh, there's something about like the simplicity and playfulness that just really lit me up. And mm. I've been told 
by multiple different people who do not know each other that my work is like a combination of Jack Kerouac and Dr. Seuss. And I really liked that. <laughs> <laughs> like an endlessly creative stream of consciousness that goes in between nonsense and profound wisdom. <laughs> oh, I want to put that on a business card. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel that too. Um, okay, well, I know that from there on, um, you went, like me, you went pretty deep into the world of tech and that you were designing notification systems for social media companies. Um, could you briefly share the story here and, and how you think that chapter of your life went on to inform the work that you're doing now and maybe pave the way for some of the spoken word poetry that you create? Sure. Um, I sort of see it as, and I'm sh actually this is interesting for the writing I was doing today, but I sort of see them as two different paths in a way um, between spoken word and tech. What I was doing, I fell in love with startup world. I had been working in social media um, and I fell in love with startup world. I was working in social media and I had a friend who was starting a social media company and I thought, okay, maybe I can help. Maybe I could be a part of that. And our investors told us if we could hold your attention for two minutes or longer, then we had a valuable company. And so that's what we tried to do. And we were making lots of decisions based on how do we grab and hold time. And some things just work at grabbing and holding time. And we weren't that good at it. But in doing so, I started to notice that Facebook, Instagram, now Snapchat, TikTok, we're all playing the same game we were, and we're better at it than we are. And nobody wakes up in the morning and says, how much time can I spend on these apps today? Um, but that is what, what the goal becomes. Mm. Uh, and then I met Tristan Harris, who's led this humane tech movement around that time and just wanted to help him however I could. And then as that movement grew, this was around 2015, we were getting all these emails from parents, teachers, students being like, what the heck do we do about this new social media thing, this new smartphone thing? And I thought maybe my perspective can be helpful. And so since I've been speaking to probably like over hundreds, hundreds of thousands of uh, students, parents, teachers about social media and our lives and creating resources on, uh, on how to manage that. Hmm. And so that's been my Center for Humane Technology side of the work. Uh, and I was just thinking today of like, cause often it's nice to be able to tell a story about yourself. It's like, look, this is how I did my things mm -hmm. and how these things came together right. and all fits together. And these are my values and this is my story. And this nice is my brand. hero's journey that comes out with the, the package yeah. at the end. But what came up today in writing was just like, the thread is me. Like I'm, the, I'm the connection. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's me. Right. Uh, I have different like sides of myself and parts of myself. And that is something that I care about and something that I've been working on mm -hmm. and the art, like, Sure, I could draw a story of connectedness and caring about humanity, caring about like just where are we going as a species? What are we valuing? What mm -hmm. is important to us? And mm -hmm. tech is such a big influence on that in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and they are connected in that regard, but truly the the art just feels like a feels like a separate path, its own thing. Separate, connected through me. It was not very articulate. <laughs> <laughs> so um on that note, like You've you said that you've spent time speaking with like thousands of parents, teachers, and kids about, I guess, like how to protect their attention from being sucked away by these very smart algorithms and tools and apps. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on like what what exactly is attention, and what it, what is this thing that is being stripped away from us and being sold to large companies, and why does it matter that we're losing it? Um, I guess attention is where we are like directing our awareness, directing our consciousness doesn't feel like the right word, directing our awareness mm. and how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. Um, and when, when that gets sucked away, we don't focus on the things that 
matter to us. We're not living intentionally. Mm. We're living based on distraction. And I don't think we live fulfilled lives that make us happy when we do that. And mm. so I think that's one of there. There's so many different angles of the social media thing that uh, that I feel concerned about. But that is very much a big one. If that when we're not living intentionally, we're not living lives that we're proud of. Mm. And we don't wake up in the morning and say, how much time can I spend on this app? Mm. Uh, it's also just like, it's never been easier to run away from ourselves. Mm. So like the moment things are a little bit awkward or a little bit anxious or a little bit hard, mm. it's just that device is just like a quick mindless motion away and we can just pull it out for a second. I'm just going to mm. look for one second. I just want to see what's on social media. I'm going to play one game. I'm going to play one game and then I'm going to go back to this task. Mm -hmm. It's just never been easier to run away from ourselves. And in my life, and I think this is true of a lot of people, most of the most fulfilling things come from feeling the feelings, feeling the challenges and overcoming them. Mm. And I think we have this constant numbing tool that is at our disposal like never before. Mm -hmm. People often say to me in this tech work, like, well, isn't there a scare about every new technology? Isn't this just like everything? And an analogy that I like is I love ice cream. And if I carried around ice cream with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if I had to go inside of a tub of ice cream to talk to my friends and to do my work, <laughs> and if every bit of ice cream I was eating was being tracked for its licks and being updated by a thousand engineers to be more personally delicious for me, I'm going to have an ice cream problem. It's going to be hard that, to live that, my that life. That sounds like making the next video. <laughs> <laughs> the ice cream dilemma. Uh, but it's... But I mean, it's not so much about, oh, there's this new technology as it is the ubiquity. It contains very real aspects mm -hmm. of our lives, both social and work. And mm -hmm. we're carrying it around 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. That to me is where, uh, where like the, the level shift of mm -hmm. problem has arisen here. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I read a stat that like we, on average, check our phones like 120 times per day. And it's just that to me like is mind blowing. Like I can't think of anything else that I do that consistently. Yeah. <laughs> um, Breathing. So to kind of touch on that, the point that you mentioned about like it's easier to numb ourselves. Um, it reminds me of we last weekend we hiked up a giant volcano that is outside the window right now um, with the rest of the group here in Guatemala. And something that we touched on was this idea of fully feeling and like leaning into painful experiences. Um, like loss or heartbreak and I was wondering if you could share an example of a personal challenge that you faced in your life that that maybe was a gateway to let you channel something deeper um, or were there any inflection points in your early years that where you did find the courage to kind of get curious about that challenging emotion and not reach for some kind of distraction mm. um, the first thing that comes to mind as you say that is just is my relationship with men's work and mm. Um, not my most recent heartbreak, but the one before it. Uh, I I remember like when and when she broke up with me. I remember just like feeling so lost and so confused and wondering just like how can this be when I just like showed up so fully and completely for for this woman. And through the process of men's work, which the style that I do is very much about feeling what's in your body, giving it all the space of just like to have all the expression that it wants. I don't mm -hmm. care what Max wants to say. I want to know what the sadness wants to say. I want to know what the anger wants. Just like letting it all out mm -hmm. and being expressed mm -hmm. just like awakened me to how much I hadn't been looking at and hadn't been mm -hmm. feeling, how much she had been holding in the feeling space for both of us in mm -hmm. ways that I hadn't showed up as um, the partner of the man that I want to be. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's, that's really just like that opened up so much of me being able to show up in the world how I want to, because when I was in denial of feelings or pushing them down or being like, no, I got this. Yeah, I'm sad, but like, I'm fine. You know, it'll be this. And here are all the reasons why this is okay. Mm -hmm. um, that was one way of relating to the world. And another comes from 
giving all of it that space mm. that to me just allows for so much more freedom, so much more reality, where I can just sit and be comfortable with everything that is and is here mm. and say, yeah, give me all of it. Bring it all on. I want all of the, like, show me what's here, what's real. I don't care what it is. It's all welcome. It's all beautiful. Just like what's here, what's now. Mm. And I feel part of my path is helping people feel safe in that. It's like, mm. All of what is going on with you is welcome here. Like, I just want what's real. I just want what is true in you right now. Mm. And um, and I would not have gotten there had I not sat with my own feelings, had I pushed my own feelings down as I did for most of my life. Mm. Wow. And that strikes me as it's, it's like it's connected to the thread that you mentioned about living more intentionally and how when we can, when we, we're not afraid to sit with and feel those things then it doesn't pull us out from the present moment and from the present experience. And that is something that I, I really admire about you is your capacity to like bring something back that is like lofty and abstract or like thinking about the future and just be like, what is it like right now? Like, and that it, to me is what I feel in your poetry as well and in your, in your work. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, they are related. Um, mm. It is like, and in living intentionally. I certainly find in my own life too, if the the times I'm getting drawn into social media, the time my vice is often like mm. Netflix binges, the times that I'm doing that more, mm. is there's something I'm not feeling. There's something I'm not like addressing that's right. going on in me. And I'm right. using these devices or you know, for some people it's alcohol, for some people mm -hmm. it's drugs, some people it's social media. Like right. it's all escapism. Mm -hmm. And it's there's things that I'm not feeling or addressing in my life, which is the underlying reason usually for me that I'm turning to these mm. things. So, so coming back to the, I guess, the technology piece in this, are there any questions that listeners and iPhone owners could be asking themselves? And as part of that, like, what do you think that if we were to look back in the future, kind of 10 years from now, that we would be almost embarrassed by? And, and what are some ways that we can learn to s develop this like somatic awareness of what is actually going in our, in our body as opposed to being um, tricked by these Companies. So I think one one key awareness, and I talk about this with with teenagers when I give my talks to schools, but like it's true for everybody, and it's true for everybody, mm -hmm. is I say raise your hand if you use Snapchat. Every hand in the room goes up. Keep your hand high if you have some kind of streaks going. Snapchat streaks, or I send you a message, you send me one back. A little streak builds. They all have their hands up. And then I say keep your hands up if you like streaks, and all their hands go down. Um, mm -hmm. And so they sort of collectively in the room say, oh yeah, we're kind of doing something that we don't like doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think just one key awareness is not just like, do I like this app? But like, how does this make me feel both during and after use? How is this adding value to my life? What am I actually using this for? Mm -hmm. Like realigning with intention in that regard. Mm -hmm. And you often get with kids, well, I use it to connect with my friends. Okay, great. Like you're using it to connect with your friends. Is that like kind of the default or is that a place you really want to go? Is this a good way of connecting with your friends or are there better ways or actually moving over to like text or FaceTime or calling each other? Mm -hmm. Would that actually give you more of what you're looking for and connecting with your friends? Is this just sort of a mindless mm -hmm. habit that works because of these mechanisms? Mm -hmm. And so just rethinking, because we will do these things. We're humans. Like we will get sucked into these patterns. We will fall into these self-comparison traps mm -hmm. and just thinking to ourselves, not just do I do this? Do I, do I use this? Because if I use this, that means I like it, right? I wouldn't do something that I don't like. Mm. To step past that and say, okay, I'm doing this. How does this actually make me feel during and after? What would it look like to move some of this to another environment? Would that maybe work better for me? What is my intention in using this technology? And is this fulfilling on that intention? What value is it delivering to my life? Mm. Um, removing our understanding of it from time to human uh, elements. Hmm. Hmm. 
are there any ways that you've changed the way that you use your phone and that you interact kind of based on some of these questions? Absolutely. Uh, I definitely have definitely gone through periods where I deleted all sorts of different apps off of my phone because I didn't feel like they were serving me. I used to use my phone as my alarm clock and I no longer do that. I sleep with my phone on the other side of the room or outside of the room. Um, and that just the first thoughts of your day then can be your own, not groggy human brain, like, huh, what's going on? Oh my God, I'm behind. Here are all these emails. Worst way to start any day. <laughs> right. It's just not what you want to put in um, yeah. right at the start. Yeah. And so that's certainly one. Uh, and also I like, have I changed? Yeah. Most of it is social media related for me. Um, and I'm still working on developing a relationship with social media that feels good. Mm. Uh, but it's often come with like setting limits for myself of an hour a day on screen time that sometimes I just blow right through with that little thing, but I am shooting for that uh, and setting that to the specific apps of that I think are most addictive for me. Mm. But yeah, it's a, it's a process, but I think the mindset is helpful. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, I really want to get into your craft, which publicly on your website is called poetry, but as we've talked about, it doesn't quite fit the like experiences that you that you weave. Um, and I was fortunate enough to witness one of your live shows here. And it does feel to me that you almost like, your art comes through in a way that you're kind of like casting spells with language. Um, I like that. It, and it like disarms, as poetry does, it disarms our rational defenses through, in your case, humor and storytelling. And so how do you currently think about describing your craft? And what is it that you think you're trying to convey through the process? I mean, as we've discussed, I have trouble describing my craft and I like what you just shared. Um, but I think at my core, I'm a communicator. Mm -hmm. I found something and I want to deliver it to you. I want you to have it. I want the world to have it. Mm -hmm. And it can be very hard to see and that I do, I relate to the idea of like a delivery man, the lightning, the creative lightning strikes, and then, oh, there's this thing. How do I get this thing to you? How do I get, how do I get you to have this, to see the way that I see for a moment? Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and that's, mm. and that's what the poetry is. And as you comment, that's how co what comedy is as well. And there are some humorous elements of my work, mm. but it really is about like, what are the ways where I can help you see what I'm seeing? And dropping the defenses does help with that sometimes. And poetry and comedy are special at making that happen. Mm. Um, but that is how I think about my craft is like communication and expression. Like, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to communicate things that I think are important or beautiful. And I want you to really see them at their depths. Mm. Uh, words are three degrees removed from what's happening. Mm -hmm. There, we have an experience, we turn those experiences into thoughts and feelings, and then we turn those thoughts and feelings into words. That's like putting something in Google Translate, translating it from English <laughs> to Spanish, and then back to English again. <laughs> um, or actually, it might even be one more, English to Spanish, Spanish to French, French to English. Uh, and so like, that's not gonna be really what was said here. That's not a very good way of communicating. Mm. And, but it's one of the most effective that we have. And so I think like, what I'm shooting for with my art is cutting through that mm -hmm. and like at that experiential level, hey, I want you to see what's really here, what's mm -hmm. really happening. And, and yeah, and that's where I see, that's what I see as, as, as the work. It's like, that's when I'm most satisfied. It's like, yes, like I did that. Like not just the words. Mm -hmm. If I hand you this on a page, if I write it out, it's just not the same. It's like, am I delivering the essence to you? Mm -hmm. And that I think is my job. Mm -hmm. 
That's really powerful. And the, the image that comes to mind for me is like, it's like you're creating like signposts to something that is, is like ineffable, is something that cannot be completely packaged and wrapped up in words. And I love the language around like helping other people to see what you see. And what I'm curious about is in what ways has the way in which you see the world changed in the process of honing your craft, in the process of creating poems? Like, do you see the world differently now than when you started this this work. Mm. Thinking about that one. Mm. Do I see the world differently now? I mean, constantly growing, constantly changing. Do I see the world differently because of the poetry? Probably. Mm. <laughs> it's a. Uh, I think what I'm trying to communicate with the work are like. A less of a an abstract they'll see the world the way i see it and it's almost like there are specific pinpoints or moments or openings where i see through deeper mm -hmm. and then when that's happening mm. it's like okay that's it that's the stuff that's it that's the work mm. it's this is deeper than normal seeing and that's what i want you to have and so i definitely look out more for those moments can i recognize them a lot as my identity has gotten wrapped up in mm. this thing that i do it's become a challenge to be like, okay, like how do I create those moments? And mm. the moments don't care. Like the, the creativity, the God, the divinity, like it doesn't care what Max wants really. Is that true? I don't know. But like it doesn't, that's not, its, that's not its core reason for being here. It's so much bigger than that. And so there's this confusing process of trying to align myself mm. to that. Mm. Um, I'm definitely more looking out for like the moments and the opportunities. When can I write? When can I share that? Mm -hmm. It's also a process of how much of that is is ego like i recently wrote an apology to the the flow that comes through me being like i'm sorry that i let it be about me at all mm. um because it's it's not the point and it's easy for me to get caught up in that and yeah i work and to like let it go not get out of your own way yeah yeah i i really love that and what's coming up for me right now is i'm just gonna riff here but it feels like there's a symmetry between your work almost like attacking it or like shedding light on the people that are stealing away attention in, in the tech world. And then mm -hmm. on the other side, you're, you're working on honing and making more precise your own capacity for attention so that you can see more deeply and then pointing to that and, and like sharing it with other people. And for me personally, I've, I feel like I've cultivated my attention more through meditation practice and through, through travel and learning, like there are those moments where it's like your attention is so deep that you connect to something below, below the surface. Mm. And I love the fact that on the one hand, you're, you're kind of tackling the things that are stealing away the attention, but you're also creating experiences where people can um, go a little bit deeper than they normally might do. Mm. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so coming, you, you kind of mentioned that you just wrote an apology to the the creative muse. Um, I wanted to mention that, I guess, two weeks ago, exactly, uh, I took part in a writing workshop that you shared. And um, you mentioned one of your early poems that was kind of on avoidance and imposter syndrome. And it really touched me deeply that in the following like 40 minutes, I just like hammered out the forward to this poetry book that I was procrastinating on for months. Um, it's now published today on Kindle, which feels great. So thank you for that. I've only read the forward so far, but it was so dope. What he just let flow in that, in that session was awesome. I am so excited to read the book. I will include the link to my book in the show notes. Um, and, and, and would you be willing to share um, some of that poem for our listeners 
and the context around which it came to you because I think it's so it's so important for people to to hear sure um so yeah it was really it's a few years old and it was about my relationship with self-doubt um because I think there one thing that was interesting is that I sat next to an anthropologist on a plane once and I said like just I asked her what's the most interesting thing to you about people and she said that just about everybody in every culture has some kind of suffering from imposter syndrome. And I thought that was so interesting that like across cultures, across tribes, across different backgrounds, that this commonality is us feeling like we're not good enough or ready to be in the positions that we're in. Because I am constantly wondering if I'm good enough to follow my heart. Like if I'm worthy of pursuing my art, wondering if my wording is worthy, worried I'm not worthy of working on creating beauty, I am constantly wondering if I am creating any beauty. If there's any substance to these fleeting words, anything it's really worth, anything that changes after people hear my work. And there's been no change as far as the I is concerned, so I'm concerned that at the end, my life's work won't have been worth anything. I'm afraid the world would be a better place if I replaced the time I spend on stage with walking out into the streets and doing literally anything. Do words matter when they don't make matter? Do ideas need to take matter to matter? Because to make matters worse, I don't want to be out there. I want to be here, sharing words that seem to so very quickly fade. My art doesn't exist in physical, tangible space. It comes and then it goes away until we're left with this. Nothingness, emptiness, consciousness that I so desperately want to lift. But when I look around at this, it won't look any different than when I started. Unless we're different than when I started. And we won't look any different as far as the I is concerned. So I'm concerned that none of this matters. Then again, do we matter? Nothing but this miraculous accumulation of matter, miraculous organization of matter, seeing matter, being matter, breathing matter. We can't actually make matter, but we can make matter matter. We can turn matter into things that matter. We can give matter value. Are these words valuable? Is that measured in dollars and cents? I guess that would make sense. But if we were observed by aliens, they'd probably wonder why we spend so much time and effort on things that don't matter. They'd be like, why don't you value value for its value? Why not create a world where value is actually built on your values? Planet Earth could be the thing you call heaven with an adjustment to your attitudes. Isn't that a beautiful idea? And isn't it something that an idea can be beautiful? And maybe that's enough. I want so badly for it to be enough for what I create in people's minds to be enough, I feel like I'm hurling stones into this giant pool of consciousness. And I finish each poem with a splash. And for a moment, there's a ripple over this vast pool of thoughts that we've collectively amassed. And then it fades, as ripples do. Without a care for me or you, that stillness is resumed. And as I gaze at this beautiful, natural view, can't help but think it looks the same as it did before I threw. And I know the lake has my stones in it now, but if I'm being brutally honest with myself, is that change? Does that matter? And no matter how much time I spend crafting the perfect lines, it won't stop my time on this earth from its inevitable decline. Since birth, I have been slowly dying, losing an arm wrestling match with Father Time. 
and it might look like I have my shit together as far as the eye is concerned, but I'm concerned that I'm wasting the only thing that matters. That I'll look back from my deathbed knowing deep down that it didn't matter, that I'll return to the earth nothing but mere matter without having made any more than a ripple, at least as far as the eye is concerned. And that's a, uh, that's an older poem. It's an older relationship to self-worth and my feelings about creativity and that I've become very comfortable with the ripple effect. <laughs> like very comfortable <laughs> with that. I likely will never know the full impact of my art or my work or my words. And I used to care so much more about seeing some kind of outcome or change mm. and i think mm. especially over the past couple of years the mm. things that i value are much more invisible it's mm. like i value the deep invisible hard to explain hard to articulate truths i think more than what is easily measurable and i think in that i've grown more comfortable with like with feeling confident that the art is making an impact of some invisible beautiful kind mm. Thank you. Like that, every time I hear it, it just like hits something mm. deep inside. Um, and what comes to mind for me is something that I think about a lot as well, which is is like how do we let go of the fruits of our labor, as it says in the Gita, and how do we just create and and completely remove our attachment to if it has a good impact or a bad impact, or you know if it's even received well. And I think that is that is a big part of the challenge and. You said that your relationship to the creative process and self-doubt has evolved and maybe matured. Um, where do you feel like it's at now? And like, what is the shape in which your resistance takes? What is the way in which Max gets in the way of the creative flow? So yeah, procrastination is the big one. I'm just like not sitting down and starting. But for what's, sure. what's underneath that? Like, what's underneath the procrastination? Yeah, it's, oh, it's like um, layers of fear. Uh-huh. Layers of fear of like, uh of is this like i think i think the deepest one i think the deepest deepest one is will people not love me in the way i want to be loved that's like all mm. the way at the center mm. um and then it, it, it just to touch on is that because it feels so personal the things that you're putting out there and so if someone doesn't receive this work it's like they're not receiving a part of you so i think i just have like a core fear there of like what if i will not be loved in the way that i want to be loved and that also is more like leans towards specifically romantic love um but like then echoing out from that also comes um like yeah it's like fear of if i give my all if i like put my real work into this if i actually give this everything i can Mm. and then it doesn't go as i want it to or i don't get some result that i'm looking for Mm. i'm bad or i am not good or i'm a waste of all of the incredible privileges and gifts that i've been given Mm. um and so that is a big one for me as well <laughs> uh and and yeah like those are underlying feelings i think that get in my way uh but also i mean what's interesting in letting go of how it's being received is and this might be an old story i'm open to it being one but for me wanting to be a delivery man wanting you to get it as part of the art makes it very hard hmm. to like just release whether you'll receive it or not hmm. um because it feels connected to a part of that and yeah and that's challenging um i'm also though i'm you're curious you said that hits you every time i'm curious about how it hits you about where it hits you about your own kind of feelings of of self-doubt or whatever it might be Hmm. (laughs) i i think it hits me 
in the sense of I, like many of us, have been kind of rewarded for doing things that are like tangibly productive and tangibly contributing to um, to either like bettering a situation or just being useful, right? This idea of like earning our own um, place on, you know, as, as humans on the planet and of that being inherently something that we don't need to earn. And so for me, I think the resistance comes in of there is this desire and I know that there is this, there are things in me that I want to express, but it's it's like really carving out the time and being like, this matters to me, even though I cannot say like what impact it's going to have. I have no idea. I don't, part of me doesn't even think it's like good yet, like yet necessarily. Um, and so for me, it, it only really comes through in the times where I feel the thing so powerfully that I can't not write it down. And I think maybe like you, I'm working on creating a, a less dysfunctional relationship with my creativity and showing up more for it even when it doesn't feel like there's like lightning burning through my nervous system. Mm. Um, I, I think there's other aspects of it as well, but that's, that's kind of the heart of it. And, and I, I have less trouble with, with writing essays and things. It's more the kind of poetry aspect. Um, and I think there's also resistance around like stepping into the idea of being a, being a writer or being a poet, because that has a lot of connotations and I, I on the time. one hand, <laughs> don't feel like in any way worthy as being put in the same category as people like Rilke, David White, like these people that inspire me. But at the same time, there, there are moments where I have written things that I would class as a poem. So therefore, I feel like I am a poet. Yeah. But it's that it's that identity piece that I think is really tricky. Which also, I think the identity piece is just in the way and annoying and garbage of like for me, too. <laughs> of like, I, I don't know if it's Elizabeth Gilbert or somebody who says that, like, people are not geniuses. People have genius. Mm -hmm. um, and I really believe that. And like, has that force flood through me? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Am I a genius? I would not categorize myself that way. Mm -hmm. um, like, is Rumi like a genius? It's like a more... I'm more willing to to offer that out to someone like that, but I think even I think he would say similarly if like if this is a force, a flow that flows through mm -hmm. different people at different times, mm -hmm. and the identity thing is more just like annoying and in the way than than anything else, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I remember reading that. Um, I think the word genius was used more in, in like Roman and Greek times, and it actually referred to I believe it was genius loci, which talked about more like us in relation to our environment and that places also had like an, a, an element of genius. And so we were kind of channeling the energy in a place and potentially a muse as well. Um, and I, th I think it is really freeing in a way to liberate ourselves from this thing that we are either the sole source of the genius or the sole source of the crap that we put out. Mm. Because I think it, and this maybe comes back to the, you mentioned that you just started writing on a regular basis. It's like we can commit to showing up, but we cannot be fully responsible for the quality of whatever comes through. Yeah. Stephen like, Pressfield, I'll take care of the quantity. You take care of the quality, right. pointing up at, right, at God right, right. for the quality. Exactly. Um, and that's it's very confusing with identity when like that genius comes through on its own schedule mm. and you then like get associated with it because often when that comes through, that's the oh my god I love your like I love your work I love that that was so amazing like thank you what are you working on now are you doing that now when's the next genius happening are you creating more genius right now 
um, that seems to be the energy for which <laughs> like it sort of gets approached. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I, oh, and I want nothing more than to be doing that. And how? And then what if it's not as good as the last one? What if it's not that? What like just all of the, what does that say about me? All that identity piece, all the what does I say about me? Mm. What does that say about me is in the way. It's not the point. Mm-hmm. It's like genius comes through, like is, is available to everybody. Mm-hmm. It is there for everybody. Um, and like it certainly seems to visit some people more than others. It certainly seemed to visit Rumi and Hafiz a whole freaking lot. Um, I would love to know more about how that happened. But even the parting, it's like, how? What did you do? How do you, how did you cultivate that thing? It's just a different energy from which like mm. it comes through, I think. And I'm open to being wrong about that. But mm. Mm. I don't think the part of us that's like, how do I get that? It's like, how do, I, how do I go get that thing so I can get more stuff or praise or things in my life from it? Mm. How can I go get that thing so I can share it with the world? I just love sharing it with the world. Who loves sharing it with the world? What loves sharing it with the world? If it wants to be shared with the world, it is shared with the world. Right. It's really hard to have both an ego and care about the force coming through you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Um, I agree. And th- there's a... There's a way that I sometimes think about it, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but for me, it sometimes feels like like reading or, or like living and feeling through intense experiences is almost like the inhale, and then the writing and the creation is sometimes like the exhale. And are, are there any experiences or, or maybe sources of inspiration that you think have contributed to like the, the exhale of your writing, or do you think that it is literally just a thing that you like happens to come through you. I mean, life is, we're living inside of it. Life is very much a part of it always and different, it's all building and different uh, fuel for the fires that come out. Mm. I absolutely think that. Mm. It's hard for me to pinpoint like this happened and created that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like like years of frustration and challenge and not figuring out how to like being able to connect helped create subway love like for mm-hmm. sure like those were connected and that building of frustration helped open to that force and that message i believe that to be true mm. it's also though i feel us in this conversation of like trying to trying to find the this this is how this it's this and if we do this then we get more of it mm-hmm. we do th- and i like there's a my instinct is really that like it says nope to that to like that whole force it's just like it sort of laughs and it's trickster energy of like right, you right, think right. you can create some <laughs> practice or something that will like make it happen on your schedule who do you think you are it's like i really do believe that is the energy of it to some extent and it doesn't mean that like like how beautiful to try how beautiful mm-hmm. to like create the the efforts and the retreat and to care enough about it to show up for it that's where i'm at right now in my practice is like I care about this thing so much. How am I not just like sitting down and trying, just like showing up at the same time every day and seeing what happens? Like I I must try. I love it too much to not try with knowing that like it'll come or go on its own schedule. Hmm. Um, but it's, I, I think we're so not in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. And um, there's, there's an interesting parallel, I think, between this and what I feel like is my relationship to meditation where for many years, I think I became like unhealthily obsessed with the tools and techniques that would elicit certain states and like get to the, like striving to get to the place that I was seeking. And recently, I think I've been more humbled in realizing that the tools and techniques like setting aside time to write 
are helpful to a degree to get you to a point, but at some point you have to let go of the very tools that get you to that place and surrender completely and that you won't actually access the thing that we're craving until that surrender takes place. That rings true for me, for sure. Um, and that, yeah, that friend of mine, Alice Frank, who I've mentioned to you, of like, has said to me, don't fall in love with the finger pointing at the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and another friend, Derek, who is my barber and a spiritual mentor, um, talks about how like, yeah, it's, it's not a technique. Like mm-hmm. there is no technique. It's like release the technique. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the meditator? It's like throw mm-hmm. out the meditator. <laughs> um, and I think that is like, I love those moments too, whether it's in psychedelic experiences, whether it's just like in deep, profound spiritual experiences, those noticing of like, oh, that too, the whole framework with which I've been looking at this existence thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, that too, throw that away too. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's a part of it. That's another thing mm-hmm. that I can let go. Oh, and there's more. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, and sometimes it's painful. Oh, it's like in that too, that thing that makes it all make sense. That too, the thing that provides the safety, throw that away too. It's just like, oh, just like more. <laughs> There's always more. Yeah. And and yeah, and it's not it's not a technique. It's not something that we're in control of. Mm. Um, on the human plane, like I, the eye is in control. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at articulating that yet. But like the, the fact that I believe we both are it and are not it. Mm-hmm. I have trouble wordsing that. Mm-hmm. Um, gets lost in Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like um, Do you feel like your psychedelic experiences have a influenced your more recent work? And, and B, to what degree do you think that you're trying to re-access that state, which becomes so blazingly obvious when we are under the influence of some psychedelics? And, and is that in some way what you're trying to kind of reach or at least point to with some of your poetry? It's definitely, I think that place that we see in psychedelics is the same place where the, where the art comes from. Mm-hmm. I do believe that. And for me, um, yeah, I had like, I remember coming down from one LSD trip uh, and just like really powerful, emotionally feeling like, like it is such a waste of time that we spend not in that state. It's like, I just feel like everything is so clear. I can do the, like with people, I can like do such important, just like deeper work with people of helping, helping people see. It just feels so clear. Mm -hmm. And then like in coming down, it's like, wow, just like, it feels so valuable. And then all of a sudden to not have access to that, except in the rare moments. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I really, I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Also like we are here and not by accident. Um, but it, it's like, I am very much grasping for, for that space or glimpses into it and, you know, maybe kill the grasper, maybe <laughs> release that of the technique and letting it be what it is. But I struggle with that for sure. Mm. I struggle with it too. And I've thought about this in the lens of, well, actually the, the poetry book that is out today is called Remember, Forget, Remember. And I think I've been working on trying to find like a beauty and meaning and, purpose in the forgetting stage of the cycle and realizing that that is essential in its own right and that if we were just like in the completely like remembering state the entire time it would almost lose the point of this of the story and the arc you need the forget for the remembering to be right. as but then i forget that itself yeah but it's so true of like in the opposites needing each other mm-hmm. or like being important for their power the pain being a part of the pleasure the the, like pain being a part of the beauty Mm. um been wondering recently if like 
the, yeah, the opposite of beauty in some pain and beauty feel like opposites in some like in some ways like are not opposites like they need mm. they they're connected they're very deeply connected for me mm. um, and not that inspiration requires pain I don't think that that's true um, but yeah but to find beauty in the forgetting I'm rambling but to find beauty in the forgetting I like that a lot it, it feels to me like this is my own perspective but it feels like a like a circle where on the far end of the spectrum of pain there is also a portal to beauty and vice versa and i think that it's it, like what the roomies of the world and the real case of the world are able to do is live and be comfortable on the far end of those spectrums and i think that is where the like the potency of their work comes from and this this is maybe an interesting segue into um you talked about men's work earlier and we've both shared conversations about the impact that men's work has had in our lives and we've both led men's circles in recent years and so could you could you speak to why you felt the desire to create a men's circle and what did even what, what that even means for those who are unfamiliar with it and, and what you know what is so powerful about this and why are you willing to dedicate two or more hours per week to it and just just how has this flowed into your life yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been in therapy for eight years and men's work for about doing men's work for about three. And the men's work, I think, has prompted, of course, they work together, but in the men's work has prompted just like very deeply profound insights and progress in ways that I did not know were possible. And if you were to tell me before I started this work, Max, you really need to feel your feelings in your body and like release them. I'd be like, okay, bro, like I don't know what the heck that means at all. And no, I don't think I need that. Um, but then that has been just such a profound gift to my life. Uh, and so it's just like, it's become a practice that has been so important to me. What we do in this space is, and every man is like the, the organization that I, I took like a course in and, and has helped me in leading mine. And the process is very much about feeling our feelings in our body, letting them have all of the room to be as big as they want to be, often especially as men in our society, if like, we'll use things like, oh, like, how, how are you doing? I'm, I'm a little sad or like, this hurts a little bit. I got a little bit of tension, just like getting rid of any diminishing nature of how we're ex experiencing our feelings and not, oh man, you're sad. It's okay, man. Cheer up. All right. Yeah. You don't have to be angry. Here are all the reasons why. It's like, show me that sadness. I want more. Like, give me more of that anger. Can I push you deeper into that? Can I say something that's going to make you even angrier? And going in in that space to like get things big and expressed and alive and uh, the foundation for this work is that in, in, in nature, animals will fight, flight, or freeze in conflict. And if a deer like freezes and plays dead and the lion goes away, and when it gets up, it'll shake its whole body out. And as adults, we're not often literally fighting. We're not often literally running away. We're mostly just freezing. Um, but we're very rarely actually feeling those experiences in our bodies and shaking them out. Um, when I first went into like the, um, the retreat where I was doing this work, uh, I... Like the guy, I was like, you know, I had a pretty good childhood. Like, I don't think I have really just such so much trauma to unlock or unpack. And then the, the leader, his name is Owen, said, if I punched you in the arm, you'd have a bruise. Also, if I just very lightly tapped you in the arm for an hour, you'd have a bruise. And as soon as he said that, everything in my body was like, oh, God, I got stuff to do. <laughs> um, and just recognizing how much just like little freezing or little like pain responses that I had been sticking down mm. have just built up in my body. And through years of this practice, I meet in a weekly men's group and it's just been a deeply profound, important part of my life. 
um, has been such so freeing because that stuff comes out in other ways if we don't mm -hmm. deal with it and look at it. It's mm -hmm. like if we don't go through these emotions and really feel them, they leak out onto the people that we care about, into our work, into other areas of our lives. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that was absolutely happening for me. And I think it now happens less. I am developing the skills to have quicker responses to this is what's going on. I can process that and then I can respond in a way that I feel good about and is intentional mm. um, and aligned with who I am. And yeah, highly recommend men's group. Every man is the group, is the, the organization that, that I personally was like sort of trained by or used as a framework. And I absolutely love that work. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really well articulated and for me, there's, there's like an interesting correlation here between this work and the creative process. And I forget who said this, but there's a quote where unused creativity is not benign. Like it becomes this almost like cancerous force. And my, the way that I see it is that we have these, um, these traumas or emotional debt kind of stored in our nervous system from these unprocessed emotions. And that the more of that we have, the more tension we carry and the harder we the the less capable we are to express our creativity and to express freely and it feels to me like the work whether it's for men or women is creating safe spaces for these unfelt potentially shameful experiences to to resurface and to be felt and released and let go of and maybe even alchemized in a safe space it's it, what that brings up for me is also that I've noticed time and time again in being with other men in this group, in this, in this work, going through it myself and leading other men in this work is like the freedom that's on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Like there's lots of blockness or numbness or I'm fine. Like it's all cool. Yeah. And then once you've really accessed the anger, like the, rah, like the depth of it in a point where you're not inhibited in letting that out, like, on the other side of it, there's such clarity and stillness and power. And then like, I'm seeing men in that state. I'm like, there he is. It's like, there's a guy. And I trust that man mm. so deeply who has just let that out. And I see where he's operating from and deciding from mm. as compared to those of us who are not like, or even just him 10 minutes before where he was like, you know, talking around it and thinking around it without mm. just like fully being with all the things that are there. Mm. And it's just so beautiful. It's true of sadness. It's true of anger of just like watching on the other side of these emotions after we have let them work through our bodies, mm. just seeing the clarity and power that is there for these men just mm. is so inspiring. And, um, and yeah, it also leads me frankly to like push pretty deep into this work. <laughs> like I, <laughs> like when I see, like, I'm pretty, I'm, I used to be very careful. I was like, how, what if you bring people to a place where you can't bring them back from, or like, or, you know, that's, that's, you're taking people into trauma. Like that's really scary. And that absolutely deserves all the respect that like of trauma. Um, it's like, I, I have become over time less nervous about like, what if we go to a place that we don't know how to deal with or we can't control? It mm -hmm. just, it, it seems like in all of the instances that I've been doing this over the past three years, mm -hmm. it's just been beautiful on the other side. Mm -hmm. And it's been kind of my own fear that has been what is keeping me from going deeper. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think for me, what you're pointing to there is this idea that we often don't trust ourselves and particularly we don't trust the wisdom of our bodies. And so both as someone who is looking to get into their bodies more fully and escape the safety of the narratives and the, and the stories in our mind and feel the things. And as someone facilitating this, this work, I run breathwork circles and part of the, the art there is, is almost encouraging people to, to go deeper and trusting the innate wisdom of their body that 
things will only surface if they are ready to be fully felt and processed and let go of. And if the space is not safe enough, it'll just stay stuck. <laughs> yeah. And just trusting that as a guiding principle. And what it, it feels like in these spaces, um, you and, and other people are almost empowering other men to feel more trusting of their of their bodies and of the things that are inside them and, and maybe getting less out of their minds. And and the the real big question for me that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is like, how would you try and like Trojan horse or like trickster your way into previous Max who was only in his head and not in his body? <laughs> and like, how would you try and convey or explain or rope him into the the deep importance of this work when he doesn't realize that he's numb and and just carrying all of this tension? I don't think I could explain. Like, I think it would have to be an experience. Okay. It was in experiencing it myself was where I could recognize, mm -hmm. okay, something in me knows that I like, that I need this. This mm -hmm. is important for me. Mm -hmm. um, I think the words are very far away from, from this one. And, and also like for me, the, the safety, and I think I have, I just, I believe I have a natural knack for this of like, to be able to both push people and also like, on a deep level, no, like you are ultimately in char charge here. Like I, I do not want you to do something that you don't want to do. Like truly, I deeply don't want you to push you deeper than you want to go. It's like, I just want you to want to go there. And if you do, then awesome, let's go and let's do that. And so like, I love challenging other men like in this work of like, okay, what's real? Like, I don't believe you. What you're saying right now, I don't believe you. That's what's coming up for me. And let's deal with the feelings that arise from that. Um, but like, but I don't want to push anyone to a place that they don't want to go mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that balance mm -hmm. is a really important one mm -hmm. in this work. And so like a younger version of Max who wouldn't have known that he needed it or just like was maybe resisting or trying to explain his way away. Um, it's like, I think I probably, if I were leading that me, I would probably keep trying to guide him to his feelings. And if he kept leaving, I'd be like, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing you keep leaving your feelings, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and work with that in exactly the time frame that it wanted to emerge. Mm. I think that probably would have pissed younger Max off, and he wouldn't have admitted that he was pissed off. Mm. He just would have been like, "No, you just don't like. You just don't get it. If like it's this, and I'm I'm dealing with it that way, and this guy's dumb. Why is he trying to like do this? Or so focused on feelings? Like, I get it. I know that I feel sad, and I'm operating with it this way. Yeah." I would have had a lot of resistance. Yeah. Um, and I think just like time and doing it and you have to choose it. You have to opt in. You yeah. can't, you can't force somebody into this place. Yeah, completely. And there's, um, it, there's a notion in, in breath work. And I think the trauma space generally of this like window of tolerance. And I think maybe that the art is guiding other people and guiding yourself to the edge of that window where it feels uncomfortable, but you're not going so far that you just shut down because it becomes overwhelming. It becomes too much. It's, totally. It's kind of really riding that edge and kind of going in and out. And over time, the more that you do this, the more that you realize the liberation on the other side of these experiences, the more it feels safe to go to those deeper places. Absolutely. And yeah, that's a, a term that the Everman work uses as well. It's like mm -hmm. the edge. Where mm -hmm. is the edge and understanding right. And, right. and respecting and pushing towards that and sometimes across it in people's own time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Cool. Uh, in your opinion... At what point do words on a page become a poem? When you want them to be one. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, I think if you want it to be a poem, then it's a poem. Hmm. Like if you've written words on a page and you want to believe that they're a poem, then they are one. Hmm. I stop there. <laughs> I love it. Okay. 
Um, what is something that you've learned from living in this co-living community in the last three weeks? I've learned how much like I love being around people, especially in this new iteration of myself where I am so comfortable in my own know and my own boundaries of like mm -hmm. where I can dip in and dip out on my own schedule without feeling guilty about any of it and just know that what I want is totally okay. I really love just like having people around, especially as both of the streams of my work are from home and so can be in isolation. And so just being surrounded by people mm -hmm. is wonderful and something I've craved and I'm incredibly grateful to have been able to have, especially during this time of, of COVID as it was difficult to test and organize all of this to make it um, reasonably safe. Hmm. Who is a human who deeply inspires you with their capacity to weave words and channel their creativity? Um, two people come up. One is Elizabeth Gilbert, who we've nerded out about <laughs> together as Liz, if, you're, if you're listening, open invite to the podcast. <laughs> Liz, we've been just like fanboying out over here um, <laughs> on you. And the other is, is Alice Frank of like in this space, who's this, uh, yeah, you can Google her, but like in this space of describe effing the ineffable, as she would say, describing the undescribable and articulating the like consciousness, the oneness that we all are, which is so hard to do. There's something about the way that she expresses it that just resonates so deeply with me. And I'm so impressed by, um, and yeah, she is. Just a very, very powerful communicator. Mm, I am excited to check out her work. That's yeah. amazing. So this has been frigging amazing. Um, I know that we're both heading to lunch shortly. Where can listeners learn more about your work, your website, see your videos, and maybe help support some of your future creations? Thank you. Yeah, um, so I'm wordsthatmove.com is the website, and I'm at Max Stossel, M-A-X-S-T-O-S-S-E-L on all of the things. Um, and yeah, I have this show that was, uh, that you, that you experienced here that I'm turning into like a digital special to be shared online soon. It's pretty awesome. If you watch some of my videos, you'll recognize the idea of be like, okay, this guy kind of does some awesome stuff and start to recognize that I'm onto something pretty interesting here. And it's an hour long version of a combination of me on stage and doing that. Um, and I would love to, to put that out into the world and let people have it. Uh, it has been, as we've talked about here, like in that delivery man essence, uh, it's very hard to have the essence deliver through a screen. That is the reason why I have taken such care to put these messages into videos that are such high production is that like to capture the essence and deliver it in person is one thing through a screen, a whole other thing, incredibly challenging. And so to do that for an hour's worth of material is like, is quite an endeavor. And I really am committed to that and creating that right now. And then I want the world to have this show that I love so much. And so if you are someone who can help bring that to life or who is interested in it, then I would love it if you would reach out to me. Um, and yeah, I think those are, those are the ways. Mm. And as someone who has both witnessed a version of the live show and seen some of the um, more edited creations, I can vouch for the extreme awesomeness of what you've put out into the world. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to close with uh, a line from Rilke, and he said, try to love the questions themselves and live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer. With that in mind, what is the question that you're living yourself right now? And what question might you leave our listeners with? 
question I'm living with myself right now is um, how to even articulate is life seems to be happening in a way that is outside of my understanding of how it could even be possible. And the question I'm trying to answer for myself is, okay, given the choices that are being made by some people that I love very much, how do I relate within this world? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that's the question I'm trying to work out for myself. And the question I'd like to leave listeners with is what wants to happen through you right now? Like, not what do you want, what wants to happen through you right now? What wants to come out of you? And there's just no wrong answers. There's just no wrong place. And from that, in, like, in creative expression, just if, if we can tap into that question, I really believe it's, it's all you need. Max Dossel, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me. Love you, brother. You! <laughs> That'll echo. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.